Hey friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast, where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. Can you believe it is already March of 2022? This year is just flying by. But you know, if it's a new month, that means that we have new downloads available for you and your family on the Rising Above website or app that go along with our theme for this year of restoration. So be sure to go over to the app or to the website and download these resources. I know that they will be an encouragement for your family. My guest today is Carrie Holt, and Carrie is a wife, a homeschooling mom of four. She's also a writer, a speaker, and she, along with her friends Sarah Klein and Amy J. Brown, hosts the podcast, Take Heart. Carrie is passionate about encouraging special needs parents on their journey, and I know that you will be encouraged by what Carrie shares with us on this episode. So here's the conversation I had with Carrie Holt. Hey, Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. I am super excited to get to meet you finally and have this conversation. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I know you are a fellow special needs mom and you're also a fellow podcaster. So we'll talk more about that part at the end. But, uh, you know, I went to your website and I read a little bit about your story and I know you are married, you've got four kids and you are a homeschool mom. So bless your heart for that. I don't know how you had time to carve out a space to have this conversation, but thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And I know from reading what I read on the website, it was your third son who has special needs. And just from what I read, it has been um, a challenging journey to say the least um, for him, for your family. And so share with us a little bit about what that journey has been like for you and your family. Sure. So we found out he is our third uh, of four and he's our third son. And we found, we found out when I was just pregnant. So at the time, um, our son, who's just a little bit older than him was about 18 months old. And then our other son was three. So our kids are 18 months apart and then 22 months apart. So we had three kids, three and under. Bless your heart. And I know. Again, bless your yeah, heart. Three boys. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Rowdy boys. Yeah. And you're still here to tell your story. So, so you have here. survived yes. thus far. Yeah. Yes. If you're listening, you can survive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went in for my 20 week ultrasound and just, um, you know, went in and had my appointment with my doctor right after and my husband was with us. My was with me and my, our oldest son was actually with us. And the doctor came in and she just said, we found something wrong with the baby. Mm-hmm. And my husband said he could tell just by the look on her face, his stomach dropped. Actually, he began to almost pass out in this appointment. And I, I have the freedom to tell that story, mm-hmm. um, which was a little bit of levity in the whole thing. And then we were just on this roller coaster of a high high risk pregnancy, level two ultrasounds. Of course, we had one doctor say you can choose an abortion, which was definitely not an option for mm-hmm. us. But they said we your child has spina bifida, which is a condition where there's a hole in the spine during development. So he was born with an open hole in his back. 
and also hydrocephalus, which is extra fluid in the brain. That's actually kind of how they discovered everything because his head was shaped differently. It was shaped like a lemon and not perfectly round. Um, and then, and so we just sort of, like, I remember sitting in the car that day and just obviously in tears and shock and grief. And we were headed to the next appointment right away um, for this like level two ultrasound. And my husband just kind of looked at me and he said, if not us, who? Mm. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. are you crazy? Mm. Um, but I knew what he meant, that we have our faith and we have God with us in this. And he had that perspective even just that day. So I, after that, I sort of switched into just this, what I do best, which is plan. I am a mm, typical yeah. type A firstborn. Yeah, yeah. And we planned everything out to the day of his birth and all the surgeries and toured the NICU and did all of that. We knew he'd have to have surgery the day he was born in a totally different hospital, same town, but different hospital wow. um, because they had to close the open hole. And then most likely he would need a device called a shunt a few days later. Um, and so of course, everything just went the way we thought it would. He was in the hospital eight days. He actually didn't spend very long in the neonatal intensive care because he was doing so well. And what's interesting is I read this book and Kids with spina bifida who also have hydrocephalus have something called a Chiari 2 malformation, mm -hmm. which is just a fancy way of saying that his brain structures are not normally shaped in size. That's what I, layman's terms, like I, that's how I like to put it. And I read all these things in this book about a Chiari crisis that you can have failure to thrive, you can have vocal cord paralysis, you can have, um, reflux, you can have all this, um, a floppy airway and all these things. And I remember praying very specifically that God would not allow these things to happen. And, um, two and a half weeks later, all those things happened. Wow. Every, everyone that was in that book, mm -hmm. um, he went to respiratory failure. We went back in the hospital and I remember calling a friend and he, he was making noise when he was breathing and he was having reflux, which projectile vomiting can be a sign that the shunt's not working because shunts are very fickle devices and he had a brand new one. And I just, I was like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. They said, they send you home with this binder of all these doctors that your child's going to see over their lifetime. And it didn't even occur to me that we needed to go to the emergency room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, she said, let's, let's count how fast he's breathing which I've gotten really good at in the 15 years mm -hmm. since then. And um, so then we spent 64 days in the hospital and 30 of those was in the pediatric intensive care unit. Um, mind you, um, my mother-in-law, her, her mom passed away during that time. Um, Garrett, our, our second son had his second birthday. Oh goodness. Um, our oldest son ended up having outpatient eye surgery. <laughs> At the same, same time. time. Wow. Same time. Wow. And we just rode this roller coaster mm -hmm. of he would be on a CPAP mask and he would be breathing okay for a few days. And then they would try to take him off of it and he would code, he would turn blue. I remember watching the monitors just for days on end and his oxygen would drop, his heart rate would drop, his, his respiratory rate, how fast he was breathing would drop under like 10. And 
they just finally came to us and said, we really need to talk about a trach. And most likely by this time he had a nasal feeding tube. We need to talk about surgery for a feeding tube. During that time, his shunt failed. So he had that surgery. And so three months old, almost, we bring home this medically fragile baby with a trach. Um, he was on a ventilator 24 seven. Oh wow. And he was hooked up to a feeding pump 20 hours a day. And his uh, feeding tube wasn't even in his stomach. It was in his small intestine because they couldn't risk him refluxing and aspirating on ref- on reflux. He was on reflux medications. Yeah. And then it also introduced us into the world of home care nursing mm-hmm. um, about 16 hours a day, seven days a week. So that that's a little bit about the beginning of our yeah. journey. Yeah. And I'm just imagining, and I know with my late husband, Jeff, we had different, but similar situations where it's, you're in and out of the hospital, constant surgery. You're, you know, you are responsible for their life. I mean, their life is literally in your hands if, because yeah. you, you're doing life-saving things at home. We were doing dialysis, you were on a ventilator, all these, you know, all these things. And I know what that did to my heart as a spouse caring for my husband, what did that do to your young mama's heart? You know, you've got other two other boys and you, I mean, I mean you're just, you're just surviving. I mean, I, I know how I was. I was just surviving and making it to the next day. That was a feat in and of itself. So how were you emotionally during those early days um, when you're just grappling with all that's going on? So I remember just feeling, I I remember initially, so the very, the the first time we had him home during those 10 days before he went back in the hospital, thinking, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how I, I had had a C-section and my mom and dad had just brought our two boys home. And I remember thinking, I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to survive this. Yeah. And I think there's so much, um, it's so funny now because I look back and it's been 15 years, but right now are all the anniversaries. The time of this recording Mm. is all the anniversaries and post-traumatic stress is real. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Anniversary dates are hard. Yeah. And even sometimes when my brain doesn't remember, my mm-hmm. body remembers yes. these, these traumas and all of that. Um, and I just remember, um, first of all, I see now looking back, I see God's protection mm-hmm. because I look back and I cannot imagine how we survived. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You look back and go, God protected my mind here. He protected my mm-hmm. heart here. Um and then I just remember, um, I remember standing in the ICU next to Toby's bed and he had like this warming thing on and he wasn't regulating his body temperature and there was just all these things going on. And I remember this complete peace coming over me. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Lord saying, I've got you, mm-hmm. you know, I'm holding you in my hand. And the verse in Philippians, I know we quote it all the time. But it is true. He said, you, you have to trust me for the next second, literally the next second yeah. of every breath that your child is taking, because we were literally watching every breath he was taking. 
and every respiratory and what was that rate and what did it look like? And and I just kept thinking about the verses. I've, I've been a believer for a really long time since I was a child and I was mostly raised in a Christian home, but my parents were baby Christians um, when they had me. And, but I remember those verses in Matthew that say, you know, that God takes care of the sparrows. Mm -hmm. And right now around our house, we have all these like starlings and, you know, all these birds are everywhere in the winter and there's thousands of them. And I think about how God knows when one falls Mm. and I, I just, I knew that he had me and, um, and, and he also just provided in amazing ways, even though I couldn't see it. And I will say it was very hard because I wanted to know the long-term plan. Mm. You know, I wanted to have all the childcare set up for our boys for, you know, three months in advance of those time of that time in the hospital. And it was like, God said, nope, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to trust me for the daily manna that mm, comes wow. down from heaven. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes if we knew the plan, you know, I think we want to know the plan, but I look at my life now and I think if I'd known when, like when I stood at the altar to marry my husband 30 years ago, if I had known what my life was going to look like, that I was going to be a mom of a child with special needs, that my husband was going to pass away at the age of 50, I don't know that I would, that I don't could have made it, you know? So I think, you know, God in his infinite wisdom says, all you need to know is today. Yeah. All you need to know is like the sparrow. I'm going to take care of you today. Yeah. And, uh, but as, as planners and as mamas, that's, that's really hard, but I don't think we could handle it if we really knew no. what was coming. Yeah. It's, you're so right. Well, I read from your website. Um, you said you'd written this on your website. It says, a few months after an inpatient hospital hospital stay, I found myself crumbling under the weight of grief. Even though it had been a few weeks since the stay, it was then that God revealed to me that I was grieving. And as, as long as I was caring for my son, I would be living in a grieving cycle. Anger, denial, fear, grief, sadness, and acceptance. This wasn't the result of the loss of a child, but the loss of a dream of a healthy, abled-bodied child. And I read that, and that is so true. You know, I think so many people who are on the outside of the special needs world have no concept of the grief that special needs parents experience on a daily basis. That, That death, we're not grieving the loss of a child, but the loss of the dream and the loss of those milestones and those things that come along the path that when we see our other kids experience that. So I know you write a lot about that. That's a lot of what you talk about on your website. So what are, what are some of the things that you personally do to help you through those grieving processes? When those things come up, are there steps that you take personally to help you process through all those stages of grief? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of things that come to mind. I, first of all, is just um, that awareness and acceptance of it and, and being willing to name what's going on, being willing to name the grief and the sadness in that moment. Um, 
after that hospital stay. And I, I think we as special needs moms, we do this a lot when we're in crisis, you have to shut down all the emotions, right? You have to, yeah. you, can't, you can't do it. Yeah. You, you can't, can't handle everything. Yeah. Right. The adrenaline kicks in. Um, you have to make sometimes split moment decisions. You know, we've had to call ambulances. We've had to make life changing decisions when my son's been in shunt failure and his heart rates in the fifties. And, you know, the doctor's saying we can do this or we can do this. And you're like, I, I don't, I, mm. I don't have time to get on the internet and research and ask my community what they've done in this situation. I just have to make a decision right now. And so we shut all those things down, but then we, what we don't deal with is just the grief and the trauma of those moments. Mm -hmm. So when it comes and it's going to come later, and sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, and it's usually something small that triggers it. We have to, I've learned to be willing to lean into it instead of pushing it down because the more we push it down, the more it's just going to come back again later and bigger and, and harder. Mm -hmm. And so, so step one, I think is just um, having an awareness of your body and awareness of, of understanding that grief does come out in different ways. It's just not always sadness. Sometimes it's anger. Um, sometimes it's just frustration. Sometimes it's fear and and it's something else usually that kind of brings it on. You know, it's the Starbucks barista that doesn't get your drink right. And all of a sudden you're in your car crumbling in tears and you just don't, you're like, why, why did this mm -hmm. simple, you know, I'm dealing with the first world, first world problem bring this about. Yeah. Um, so that that's been part of it. And, and then I think the second thing is just, um, I've learned to, to grieve in just some cathartic ways, whether it's been journaling or listening to, um, I know it's going to sound ridiculous, but sometimes even playing the songs that make you cry mm. so you can have that release mm. of emotions yeah. yeah, and that release of just of the grief. And then thinking back, what has happened recently? Um, what have I not mourned? Um, and, and what, what has happened in those situations and what are even just some of the lies that have come up that mm. I have believed. Yeah. And, um, just recently, um, in the fall, I realized that those early days that I really had not processed the grief that God answered my prayers of no with the whole Chiari crisis. And um, because I realized that I can't tell that story without a measure of just crying and sadness. And, and that's not to say that every time you tell a story and that you can't tell it without tears, that, that you're always grieving. But there was just this deep-seated level of um, feelings of betrayal mm, from yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. You know, that yeah. he said, no, that he did not answer yeah. my prayers in the way that he said. And I've even realized just actually in the last like 24 hours that sometimes I don't bring all of my requests to the Lord because in my mind, I think he's already got his mind made up. So why do I need to, to ask him about this? 
I'm sitting here nodding. People can't see this, but I'm nodding because I so get that and so understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so the, so those are just, those are just some of the steps. And then, you know, once kind of, you've kind of worked through this and, um, and also it is remembering that I don't have to make myself all cleaned up and pretty. I can take all those emotions to God in prayer. Um, you know, sometimes it's writing out a Psalm, um, and putting my name in it or Mm. putting these words, um, to the Lord in these, um, these messy emotions of, of anger and sorrow and sadness. Um, and, you know, and then it's just, um, remembering the truths Mm. of scripture, you know, and, and looking, for the ways that God did provide, that mm-hmm. God did stand in. Because the truth is, even though I feel sometimes betrayed that God answered that prayer in a way mm-hmm. that I did not ask for, yeah, the truth is when I look back, he was preparing me. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he knows me. He knows the intricate depths of my soul and that I sometimes I really need to know what to expect. And he was preparing my heart for what mm-hmm. was to come. Yeah. So I wasn't completely blindsided. He actually did that even with um, the news of Toby's birth. Um, it's interesting because right before we found out about him, um, my husband and I were in a Bible study in Ephesians and talking about suffering. And I kid you not, <laughs> one day on the way home from a study, I looked at my husband and I said, you know what? We haven't really suffered in a while. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and I don't think God said, oh, well, here you go. Here you go. You right. spoke these words into right. being. Right. But it, I, it was more of a preparation for you. It was. Yeah. 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 Yep. Well, I know for me, like we were talking, when you were talking about that feeling of like struggling to pray because you're like, okay, God knows what, what he, what we feel like we're in our minds, we're thinking, well, he already knows what he's going to do. And, and I struggled with that as well. After my husband passed away, just like I couldn't pray. I was struggling to pray because quite honestly, my heart was so broken that I didn't trust God in that moment. And then my husband's own words came back to me. He had this quote that he would say, and he would close some of his, um, blogs out. He would say, when you feel you cannot trust God's actions in your life, you must trust his heart. And so even though we don't understand why these things are happening, it doesn't make sense. Or when we get a no, we have to trust in the fact of knowing, no, ultimately his heart for us is good. And to settle that in our heart. And then when those hard things come, then we're able to process through better. So was there something for you? You know, I know you talked about these different steps, but was there something for you in your mindset that was kind of a shift to go, no, I'm going to trust that that this is your good for us. Honestly, I think it was at, at that point, I think our son was about five and it was actually sitting down and writing down all the things that I had to be grateful for. Mm, yeah. And all yeah. the ways that I had seen God provide in our life. The morning of our ultrasound, we, I had the ultrasound first, and then we had an appointment with my doctor 
And it was taking her a really long time, which now we know why, because they were panicking and looking at all these scans and going, how do we break the news to this family? Um, My husband was pacing back and forth in the doctor's office. And I looked at him and I said, I would tell you to go to work, but I think you need to be here. Mm -hmm. And I even said, I don't think there's anything wrong, but I think you need to be here. Mm -hmm. And And it's just little moments of those things Mm -hmm. that add up, just like you said, where I see the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the ICU as a baby, I remember getting out my journal and going, okay, those verses in Philippians say that I need to give thanks or, you know, in first Thessalonians and, or to give, you know, supplication with Thanksgiving. So what, what do I have to be thankful for? I, what, what, how is God providing in this moment? And it was silly things like from the ER, we got admitted. So we didn't have to pay a copay. It, Mm. you know, it was the parking arm was up. And so we weren't paying for parking every day. It was all the childcare that was, um, you know, surrounding us. And I also have this amazing story. If I could share this. Um, so we have, we have some friends of ours, um, that we've been friends with since before my husband and I were married. And actually, um, I worked at the college bookstore with my friend Erica's mom, and I have permission to use her name. I I worked in a bookstore at our college with her. I didn't really know Erica when we were um, at the college we went to, but she was a year ahead of me. And then she and her boyfriend and the guy I was dating, who's now my husband, we kind of ended up in the same town and the same church. And, um, we ended up getting married about nine months apart. We um, were just, we got really close and we went on vacation together a couple of years into our marriage. And then she and I started kind of dreaming about being pregnant at the same time and having our babies at the same time and all this stuff. Well, wouldn't you know, we end up getting pregnant about three weeks apart. Mm. I'm due in July. She's due at the beginning of August. And um, I'm 11 days overdue. And I've had it, (laughs) you know, it's our first babies. And she calls me, we were supposed to go to lunch this day. I'm scheduled to be induced the next morning. She calls me on a Thursday and she says, Carrie, I keep having this, these, she had some reoccurring kind of minor issues that the doctors weren't super concerned about, but she was, um, I think a week before due date or so. And she's like, they want to induce. So she goes into the hospital to be induced. I am devastated because she's going to have her baby before me. I'm a little competitive. (laughs) I'll admit that right now. So her son, Evan, was born at 10.16 p.m. that night. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, 10.15, my contraction started. By 1.30 in the morning, I'm at the hospital. I'm sitting in between my husband and her husband, breathing through my contractions in a waiting room, waiting for a delivery room. My son was born about 16 hours Um, later the next day we had our babies together when her son was three months old he went in the hospital in respiratory failure he came home three months later without a diagnosis but with a trach a ventilator and a feeding tube wow three and a half years later we bring our son home with the same thing and and i want whoever's listening to know that it's very uncommon it can happen but it's very uncommon for kids with spina bifida to have a trach a ventilator and a feeding tube Mm -hmm. And our boys are 18. Our oldest sons are 18 now. Um, 
And yeah. And so just God provides, Mm -hmm. he provides. And you had that friend who was ahead of you in the journey who could walk you through what was, and I think it's, I think it's so important to stop and acknowledge that. And like you said, you wrote it down, you wrote, and I've done the same thing. It's like having those reminders to go back and look at when we are struggling, when we feel like, okay, he doesn't see us. God doesn't see us. He's, you know, he doesn't see what we're doing what's going on with us. But the reality is we can go back and look at the things we've written down, be reminded of those truths to help us when those hard seasons come, because they will come again that, you know, we we have seasons where we're floating along and everything's okay. And then they hit us out out of nowhere sometimes. And I would love to talk a little bit about your son now. I know he's a teenager. I, I read from the notes you sent me, he's now had 60 surgeries, which I can't even comprehend. I mean, so much that he has personally been through. And so share a little bit about how he processes through all this now as a teenager and how it affects him now at this stage in his life. Sure. So just, I guess, to catch up over 15 years, um, he he does still have a trach, but he can talk like a barely normal 15-year-old. Um, he's still on a ventilator when he sleeps, but he's off of it during the days in a wheelchair full time. So, you know, he's navigating life with his wheelchair. Um, you know, we went through years of therapy trying to walk and things like that, but it just didn't work out. Um, so one of the things that I've realized is because he is cognitively aware that he's different, And he's got two older brothers who are involved in sports and, um, and he is involved in like, you know, adaptive sports and things like that too, is he, as he got to be about 12 or 13, his own grieving cycle started. Mm. And I am a fixer and I, there were times that I just wanted to fix it for him. And there I remember the Lord just kind of speaking to me and saying, just like you have to grieve, you have to let him grieve. And sometimes that means um, not speaking. You know, I'm a speaker and I used to be a teacher. So of course, like I want to teach him all these lessons in these moments. And I, I have had a very hard time. I will say, I'm going to fully admit I'm not a good listener, but God is working on me and helping me that I have had to just listen and, and, and be there. And, you know, and then with um, puberty and, and spina bifida and his brain and just everything, like he just has these moments of these just really big emotions and grieving. And, um, and I've just learned to listen, but then I will, but, and also have just that spiritual discernment to also speak the truth into his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, John 9, 1 through 3 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, and even though I am sure that sometimes he doesn't want to hear that God's going to use him to display his glory, and he already has used him to display his glory, um, one of the amazing things that God has done is Every time this kid goes into surgery, he wakes up, not right away. Sometimes, you know, he's kind of grumpy from the anesthesia, but he, 
within 24 hours, he has a smile on his face mm-hmm. and he just, he just goes into it with, you know, just this joy that just all the doctors and nurses just can't even explain. I remember one time we were driving to the hospital for a plan surgery and um, we were having this conversation in the car and he said, he said, mom, he said, um, sometimes when I go into surgery, I am really scared. And I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I pray. And I asked God, are you really with me? Mm. And I said, what does he say, buddy? And he said, he says, yep, I'm right here with you, Toby. You know, and just for him to know the presence of God mm-hmm. in those situations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and just to, just to have, just to have that um, has just been just so beautiful. Um, you know, and then just, I think you have to be willing to allow your kids to just have those big emotions and just to be a safe space for their anger Mm -hmm. and to be a safe space. And honestly, I feel like that's hard sometimes as a parent to know, like, you know, when angry words come out of their mouth, you know, do you say, well, you don't say that. Well, you know, God allows us, I mean, you look at Job and Mm -hmm. he cursed the day of his birth Yeah, and he had these harsh words, even even in the presence of God, he did. And again, I know there's that balance, but like, um, I think I've learned to just to, and again, I'm not perfect at it. Don't, you know, please hear me that it's not mastered. Um, but just to, you know, when he says things like, just wish I could play basketball like yeah. my brothers. Yeah. Those you are know, real feelings that, you know, real feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just praying for wisdom to know like how, when are the times that we have, I have to move him out of feeling sorry for himself. Right. 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 And, and, and point him to those truths again, like you said, we, we, we have to trust the heart of God and Mm -hmm. and what does that look like and who is God and what, what is his character um, and all of that. And I will say that he does see a counselor. Um, and again, it wasn't anything, you know, big, life-shattering, lots of anxiety or depression, but it was me. Um, and I will say this, I had to get over the lie that I had failed as a mom because mm. we needed to see a counselor. Yeah. yeah. And that was huge for me because I grew up in a family where, you know, you don't necessarily discuss things outside the family and you pick mm. yourself up by your bootstraps and you just yeah. keep moving. And I had to, I had to get over that and it was very difficult, but it's been really good too. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he's an amazing young man who has overcome so much. And I know you and your husband have loved him so well and your other kids over these years and um, that it just comes out in who he is. Um, And for him to know and acknowledge to, to even when he's in that crisis moment to, to acknowledge, yeah, God's right here with me. Yeah. Um, What a beautiful example of what we all need to do when we're in those moments. And, um, you know, here at Rising Above this year, our theme is restoration. 
And so we're looking at different ways that we allow God to restore those broken, beat up, hard places in our life, those places where we're struggling, those places where things have been, uh, we feel stolen from us. And so what are things that you're doing right now personally that are helping to bring restoration to you? So one of the things, and this has kind of been a journey over the last couple of years, but I have been, um, I became aware of the Allender Center um, for, um, it's the Allender Center for Theology and Psychology. And one of the things that they do is, first of all, Dr. Dan Allender wrote a book called To Be Told, and it's diving into those stories of harm and trauma and, and even, and they don't have to be big trauma, like, like trauma, big T, but they can be little traumas, little T, but, you know, things happen to us in our childhood, throughout our life, you know, and the truth is I have some amazing parents, but the truth is we all make mistakes as parents. And, but out of those things are kind of how I talked about a little bit earlier are the, some of those lies that I've believed, you know, that um, I'm giving up and, and I'm not enough if I need to see a counselor or a therapist. Mm-hmm. And so it's diving into those stories and working to repair, letting God repair those, those places where the devil wants to mar our image. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm signed up to do one of their like weekend story workshops in April um, and I'm really excited about it. And to be honest, I'm a little bit scared to death because, you know, it's, it's writing out a story of harm and, yeah. and being willing to be vulnerable and authentic, um, even with people that you don't know. Um, so that's, that's one place that just, I've been doing that study and then preparing myself for that. Um, and kind of along those lines, I've also been reading a book called Redeeming Heartache. Um, also by Dr. Dan Allender. And it is just a really interesting take on how all of our hurts and traumas can fall into kind of three categories of the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, and how God uses those things to bring us into the roles of prophet, priest, and king or queen. Um, And it's pretty amazing. Um, I sat through one of their workshops when the book launched and um, just it's just a really neat process to think through. Um, and then just in some small ways, um, I have the daily Kairos journal. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I love that journal because it helps me to kind of sit in, you kind of write out scripture, you write out some things that you're grateful for. Um, you write out a prayer and then you kind of think through how God's showing up in your day and you write those things, write those things down. And that's been super helpful for me because, um, you know, my co-host Amy has taught me um, because I'm one of those people that I feel like if something's wrong, you got to overhaul all all of the things. You know, I'm a homeschooling mom. The curriculum's not working. We just need to overhaul everything. And the truth is God meets us in those small steps Mm -hmm. in small ways of restoration and those small decisions. And I, you know, I have some bad habits of retreating and, and behaviors of, you know, into my phone. And, and like I said, my, just sometimes there's been that block of just praying. Um, but that journal has just been helping me to realize that, 
you know, I don't have to spend three hours studying the Bible, um, but I can just meditate on scripture. Um, Ephesians 4, 16 through 20 has been a place I've camped out as a place of restoration. Um, Just praying those scriptures for myself, but also praying them for my kids and my Mm -hmm. family. So there's a couple ways. Yeah, I love that. And I've written down all those the books and things that you said, so we can I can look those up. So those are those were new to me. So I'm excited to to check those out. But Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show today. I have so enjoyed getting to hear your story, getting to know more about you, and it's been quite an inspirational story that you have shared with us. And I would love for you to share. As I mentioned earlier, you are a fellow podcaster. You do a podcast with two of your friends. So share a little bit about that show real quick and then about your website. Sure. So our podcast is called Take Out Special Moms. And I host that alongside Sarah Klein and Amy J. Brown. We met through a writing group and realized that we all had special needs kids on very different journeys but that what we had in common was our connection in Christ and our connection and just the common feelings that we all experience as special needs parents, just the grieving, the joy, um, the sadness, the struggles. And I think sometimes as special needs parents, we just have this tendency to kind of compare, you know, like my journey is harder than yours and, or, you know, or I can't complain about that because I'm not dealing with that. And what we, want our listeners to know is just that there's a place for everyone at the table and that there's hope, joy, and connection in Christ. And, you know, we bring that out just through our personal stories. So um, that website is takeartspecialmoms.com. We're actually working on a book, which is so exciting. It's going to come out May of 2023. Um, And then my personal website is just carriemholt.com. And my passion is just to help special needs parents and especially moms to just understand and, and work through that grieving process and, and what that looks like. I know just being aware and acknowledging that it's okay to say that you are grieving and that you are experiencing a grieving cycle throughout your journey, even though your child is still with you, is just a huge hurdle sometimes to overcome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all that you do and what you had to share. And we will be sure to put links in our show notes so people can find you very easily. And so again, Carrie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing part of your story with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.